Welcome to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. My name is Elan Ezekiel. In this episode, I am joined by Yohai Hakak, academic at Brunel University and also Penny Ray Bigger's husband. In this conversation, Yohai and I talk about his Iraqi identity, what it was like growing up secular in Israel, and his observations about Jewish life in Britain in the context of conversations about social justice and anti-racism. As I record this in November 2023, it's worth pointing out that this conversation was recorded earlier in the year before the current horrors in the Middle East. Please take a look at the show notes for links to more information about some of the food and topics that Yohai and I discuss. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to some of the others. Also, we'd love it if you like and subscribe and tell your friends about the Who Do You Think You Are podcast. Let's meet Yohai Hakak. Can you please introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Yohai Hakak. Hi, Yohai. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I live in London and I've been living in London since 2007 when myself and my wife and our two daughters moved to the UK from Israel. I was 37 when we moved, so I was a fully formed creature. And <laughs> my life in Israel. In Israel, it's quite difficult to find an academic position unless you spend a few years abroad. So that was the initial motivation. So I did my doctoral studies in Israel and the postdoc and I looked for another postdoc and, and this is what happened. <laughs> and then you got and then you got stuck here. Not what? stuck. We wanted uh, enough time to immerse ourselves in mm. culture and feel we understand it, or, or able to to really decide where we would like to continue our lives. And uh, but things were going politically in negative directions in Israel, and uh, plus we were well, we were enjoying ourselves you know good things happened to us here so we were happy to stay i apologize for saying that you got stuck we have that very british thing of we don't understand why anyone would want to stay on our cold wet island right it's lovely that you're here you're high who do you think you are there's something i think unique or, or slightly different about growing up as a jew in israel because you can you can be a Jew in Israel without doing anything on purpose or without any effort, without any need to initiate or to work for it or on it. You can just be. I grew up in a, in a secular family and my parents weren't interested really in, in religion and, and religious rituals. And, and I sort of shared this tendency so I was a secular Jew who I mean I still am a secular Jew who can relate to aspects of Judaism as as cultural when I finished the army I somehow became a journalist okay almost how old were you because not everyone will know when yeah, army um, service finished. I was almost 21 it was just very fortuitous 
those days before journalism became a profession that is really difficult to make a living in. It was the 90s. And also in Israel, you, you didn't necessarily need a, you know, a degree or any qualification. It was one of those things that you learn on the job. I got a job as a as a uh, reporter, and I became I was the, the the topic was religion. I was covering religion in around Jerusalem, in Jerusalem oh, and well, around it. Um, just just the center religion. of that topic. Yeah, yeah, you can challenge such a decision. Considering <laughs> the fact that I knew very little, if if anything, about religion. The mm. main focus was the ultra orthodox community. But I I really got into that, and, and it actually led me to do a PhD about the ultra-Orthodox community a few late, years later. But, but definitely writing for this newspaper for about seven years, this sort of paved the way to other things and other interests. And so it, it sort of enabled me to consider i guess more deeply my relationship with judaism and uh, but i i remain you know a secular jew who is relatively not very interested in in the religious i'm definitely interested in people and and their culture but yes i'm not a very religious person did you have a bar mitzvah? Did you go to the synagogue at all? Or did you do Shabbat prayers? What was it in your childhood? In Israel, you said it's just like you, you can just be. I think that's a lovely way of describing it. And I think probably a lot of Christians in this country or people who would identify as Christian, but maybe don't make an effort, they can do that here. But what sort of steps or what, how how did that express itself for you and your family yeah, yeah. well again it, i think it's slightly different compared to you know christians here the state of israel is a jewish state the calendar everything is set according to jewish tradition so it's almost inevitable and again you don't need to make an effort you know each of the holidays you get days off school and, you know, what is there to do? Your family will, will congregate and eat something uh, related to that holiday, <laughs> you know? So, uh, and again, we were absolutely, totally secular. We No, we didn't go to, to the synagogue. We had, you know, Friday night meats which were a bit more you know like a sabbath meal but maybe once in a while we might be lighting the candles definitely without a prayer you know no i did not have a bar mitzvah and but i remember that it wasn't the norm my friends did have bar mitzvah most of them but i just felt that well i'm not interested it wasn't something that it, it was a bit sort of strange or, or forced. It's really helpful context. And I think for people who aren't Jewish or maybe don't know about what it's what life in Israel is like, that's really gives a really good sense of how there are multiple identities of being Jewish in Israel. I wonder how much of your Jewish identity or your awareness of your relationship to other Jews in Israel related to your own ethnic background or your family's background? 
I'm a mix of my father who was born in Iraq and into Israel in 1950 when he was eight years old. And my mother who grew up in a kibbutz and her mother came from Germany, father from Galicia and her mother is from the Ukraine and my grandfather from my mother's side who was also grew up in Germany. So I'm I'm this kind of mix. I had proximity to both Ashkenazi Jewry and the Mizrahi Jewry. People, because of my surname, would identify me as Mizrahi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I guess these things make a difference. Yeah, it took me a while. I don't think I was really aware of these things for many, many years. But later on, and, and also through research and my own research, academic work, and while growing up, I these things and the importance of them became clear. My dad obviously shared loads of stories. He and his family shared many stories about how they were received in Israel and endless stories of really, well, a lot of discrimination. The Jews were received and absorbed by the people who were at that time sort of at the top administrative roles, which were Ashkenazi. And they diverted Mizrahi Jews mainly to the peripheries of the country so if you look until today, all the peripheries are filled with the people who were settled there. And the way that they settled them, obviously, was very different to how Ashkenazi Jews were settled. Ashkenazi Jews received huge lands and, you know, they were sent to kibbutzim or moshavim, and uh, whereas Mizrahi Jews were settled in these basically council estate or things very similar to that. Just one example out of endless examples of the extreme inequalities that still rule the country. This is something that, if anything, that I'm, I'm acutely aware of. You know, I worked in a, in a psychiatric hospital as a social worker and I saw the outcomes for Mizrahi people in that sphere. So often the services that they will receive in this system, much, much worse. It's not as simple as a cultural difference, but there is a discrimination there that perhaps other people, people outside of Israel or outside the Jewish community won't have heard of. How, how did it feel like me, you're, you're mixed. I'm half Ashkenazi, half Benazir. There were times when I could see things happening between the two communities. I could see and understand and relate, or at least bridge to both. But to be, to see the, what sounds like, oppressive behavior of, and discrimination, how did that sit with you and your own sense of your ethnicity or identity? Were you part of the oppressive group or part of the oppressed group? How did that sit oh, with you? Well... From the minute things became clear to me, I definitely took a stance as much as I could. I chose the path of a social worker. And for us, we, we talk a lot about social justice. And so it really annoyed me greatly. That's a real, that's a commitment right there, Yohai. That's no small step to go um, from journalism, which is, you know, 
important work as as well. These are all tools. It really depends what you do. You can do terrible things, both trades. But you know, if your heart and mind are in the right place, you might be able to do some good things. These are things that I'm really aware of and that I find really troubling. And you know, they are still very, very problematic. It, it, it in a way it mirrors how black people are treated. Black and brown people are treated here. Many, many similarities. If you look on all the outcomes, you know, from health, mental health, education, promotion, positions at different levels of seniority, any kind of outcome, the data is really stark and, and really upsetting. Yeah. As a researcher, these are things that I'm thinking about and aiming for. Yeah, social yeah. change, social justice are things that that are important for me. I've been avoiding some of these questions for much of my life, right? Because I am not a practicing Jew, I don't believe, but I grew up in quite an Orthodox house with all of these complexities of mixed uh, ethnicities in my life. I think I kind of just sort of backed off, right? And it was it's in, it was intense, and I had the option to back away, and I've come to it late later in my life, in my fifties. But I, I wonder if I couldn't have avoided those questions. What would I have done earlier if I was in a community, in a society where those questions of Jewish identity were all around me, I would have had to make more choices. So in a way, it makes perfect sense that you were tackling that question of how you fit, how what you could do with your what I think is a superpower of being mixed. I think if you're of mixed identities, you have a superpower. And then you sort of I think there's a point where you realize that actually it gives you that ability to see across identities and make sense of things that other people don't see you had to make sense of your superpower and you seem to have made some choices to use your great power for great responsibility for doing good thank you i thought i'd get us to what we i think you and i in fact a lot of jews might agree is the most important question which is what's on your plate your high what's the food that that brings you a, a Jewish thing. Israelis very much into food, and and I, I love food as well. But you know, I'm I'm not sure I would define the food that I grew up with as Jewish food. I ate a lot at my both grannies' homes, and and each had their own cuisine. Tell um, us about that. My Iraqi grandmother used to live in Ramat Gan. It's a known center for Iraqi Jews. <laughs> And and we used to drive from Jerusalem to Ramat Gan some periods every Saturday or in the morning, leave quite early just to arrive for breakfast, for an Iraqi breakfast. Lots of people are familiar with sabih, which is this wonderful thing with with roasted eggplant and uh, but it was uh, it was a real treat. It starts with a smell, with this aroma of turnips that are cooked overnight in uh, some kind of a sauce that includes tea bags and quite a lot of sugar, depending on oh. you know. And do you know what hamin is? No, I don't. No. 
No, so it's another, it's like, it's like chunt. Like it's a dish, it's a main dish that you eat during, you know, either in the evening or, or around lunchtime. It's, it's meat and uh, some carbohydrate could be usually, or uh, rice, potatoes, but it often includes all kinds of internal organs. The thing about chillin, I know from the Ashkenazi tradition, is it's a meal that you can put on the cooker uh, and leave just to keep cooking because during the sabbath you're not allowed to do any work yeah. so it's a meal that can just sit and cook and the flavor improves i love the colonial intersections there of tea bags and turnips and there's so many interesting questions there about the how those things came together another <laughs> thing another thing that they used to put in in this in these pots were eggs uh-huh they would they would boil because there was something about giving the eggs the a brown color. Yes. Now, how do you yeah. do that? You 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 add them to to the turnips and the tea bags, and then you put them in the chulb or something like that. But this it was it just to make this wonderful uh, smell that I you know I remember myself waking up. If my dad used to do it, or if we used to sleep at my granny's home, but you wake up on Saturday morning to this unique smell that will fill the house. And uh, it's like, it was, and, and it's this range of dishes that, that comes with this breakfast and later on the lunch. And it's like, it's a whole day of feasting, basically, you know, it's like, and you, we would go to places and we would play, but it was a very much of a social event. Like, and, and the food drew you back, drew everyone back, right? So there's yes, that sort of... Absolutely, um... absolutely. Yeah, it was... My granny was a really good cook. It was... So I have wonderful memories. Your other granny? So you have this... So that's, that's sort of one experience. Yeah. How would you describe the other? So, so this was very urban. They lived in, you know, in the middle of the city. It was very urban yeah. experience. What was special about the other granny? They lived in a in a moshav in a village, and they had this amazing plot of land, huge, huge, huge ground. And my granddad, who was sent by his own mother when he was five years old, he was sent to Israel because his own dad left from Germany to the U.S. to to look for work, but no one ever heard from him since then. She she was left with five children, so she sent him to Israel. And I don't know if this story is the reason why well he had lots of learning difficulties i'm assuming mm -hmm. that if you, if you move to a country on your own when you're five it can be quite daunting he never learned to read and write not to write but he, mm -hmm. he he was very very well read and he was very interested in animals so uh, they had endless animals on this loads of dogs so uh, the memories are very much uh, lots of fruit trees and uh, you know so endless fruit endless lots of he was also a sort of a hunter so we, uh -huh. would, uh, we would go and, and shoot stuff you know before mm -hmm. i get conscious but you know he used to lay traps for everything from from snails to frogs the kitchen was an ashkenazi kitchen you know we ate schnitzels and we ate <laughs> you know they, they really liked bacon despite yeah. the 
Jews, uh, you okay. know, probably one of the few places where you can find the pig in those days, <laughs> <laughs> you know how to get it. Uh, yeah, you know, they would, they would eat it very sparsely. It was extremely expensive. So they would chop yeah. it very thinly and, and put it in, in a, in a, in a, in an omelet or something like that, <laughs> or in a scrambled egg. With- yeah. I think, I think what's really interesting about those, you know, there's very, you know, a connection. Sounds like your grandfather had a connection to the land, which, you know, which he came with or he, he sort of fostered. And, you know, I'm not a wild fan of hunting, but I can see that Israel is a, you know, as a, as a, there weren't many, you know, to be able to explore the land and get close to it in that way must have been a real gift. And to, and, and, you know, the industrial farming of Israel is another conversation we won't have now, but it sounds like this was much more a rural lifestyle in in a very fertile part of Israel, which must have been amazing to have all of that fresh food and veg, but, and meat, but also that sort of the Ashkenazi in a way, in a weird way, you know, a lot of the, I guess the Ashkenazim in Eastern Europe, they were a very rural community, right? They were very close to the land. They weren't always, you know, all of them, obviously I'm making wild generalizations here, but there's lots of communities that were living that weren't urban lifestyles so it sounds like they've sort of almost recreated or sort of created a sort of what some of the state of israel wanted to do was <laughs> provide spaces for people to live there to recreate their communities or to find a life in israel that worked for them so it sounds i must admit you're making it sound pretty idyllic you high i know that you know we're not ignoring the oppression of the palestinians and all of the the, the what that where that land came from and that's all you know but from your experience of it and your family's experience of it that really gives us a sense of your sort of identities and how you manage that uh, and of course the food which uh, having eaten in your house i know is you have definitely brought through into this generation and and so thank you for that so in terms of the, I wanted to talk a bit more about your Iraqi heritage, not because, you know, not because the Ashkenazi story isn't interesting. And just to make it very clear, you know, the Ashkenazi stories are, 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 are for both of us, are, are really important to our identities. But perhaps the Iraqi story is not so well known. I wonder how much you know about the history of your community and how it relates to how it related to other Jews. You've talked a bit about the arriving in Israel, but perhaps how did you, what was the stories that you heard about the Iraqi experience and how did that how how much did you know as growing up and how much do you had have you brought forward into your life now? Hmm. Well, my dad and his brothers used to speak quite a lot about their childhood and in Iraq. And from their perspective, when they told these stories, life in Iraq seemed very positive, very mm-hmm. extremely positive. So what, that they would have been in the 30s or the 40s? What year? Oh, 50s? They, my, my, dad, the... my dad was born in, in 1942. 42, okay. Yeah. So a few years before the state of Israel was established, and and they came to Israel in 1950. Okay. But enough to remember life life there. And the stories are just really positive about the very communal kind of living, lots of 
time outdoors, you know, lots of time spent on top of buildings, mm-hmm. you know, flying kites. That's, yes. Lots of stories about kites and that they used to build, as a child, he used to build kites from for me, for us, from, from bamboo thingy. Lots of stories about sleeping on, on, on the rooftops at night because often it would be really, really hot inside. And so very positive. And, and contrary to that, the stories about moving to Israel were, were much less positive. You know, they had many, many years of, of real struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Israel. That's really interesting. I suppose I came when I asked about the dates, I think, you know, my minimal history knowledge of of the Iraqi Jewish story is that in the 40s, things got quite hard for Jews in Iraq, sort of. So I wondered whether, you know, it sounds like for your, for your, 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 parents at least your dad at least, he's not aware of that some of those struggles so much until they got to, you know, the struggle started perhaps when they got to, to, to Israel, but there was not much awareness of the sort of the, the, the oppressive or the change in their life. I think my, my dad was again, probably a bit too young to spot it, but I know from my aunties and other relatives that they remember India before partition and they remember after partition and they remember that there was a change in the air they remember even as children they remember that there was they were able to play with some with their hindu and muslim friends and then things got harder it was more like okay not not so cool but i wonder it sounds like there there's some because you know, there were pogroms in 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 iraq right it was it, it um, so yeah, the, but they the weren't they weren't aware, ah okay yeah the farhood yeah yeah, but I think this, to be honest, I'm not sure about when this happened, but I, if, if, well, from memory, I think it happened closer to the establishment of the state of Israel. So 49 and, and shortly after that, they left. Yeah. So no, I, I, I can't say that I know a lot about the history of Iraqi Jewry and, uh, you know, to be honest, it's something that is much less taught in schools. You know, we, we are taught much more about European Jewry. And, yes. You know, my, just as, as a background, my my granddad was a teacher. He was a maths teacher and, and he mm-hmm. trained as a teacher in Iraq. He was also a communist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a member of the Communist Party in Iraq. So we have, we have generations of secular... <laughs> Secular, politically active <laughs> politically active socialists <laughs> in our in our family and also my 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 grandparents on the other side were were urban socialists so mm-hmm. yes i think it's it's a- you know but there's something interesting there which is and i think it's part of the driver for some of the conversations that i've been having with often with people of our generation is that my grandparents who didn't really want to talk about the history they'd left behind, right? It was like, that's the past. We're, you know, like good immigrants. They want to, you come, you assimilate, you settle down, you fit in, you do all that stuff. You don't kick up a fuss. And, and we, you know, I was aware of some of the history. Like my grandfather was very proud of being a Bene Israel, but also he 
didn't want me to follow those practices because now I was a British Jew and I must behave like an Ashkenazim and all of this stuff, right? So the history wasn't really talked about except the sense of pride, right? I, I was aware of the pride, but not what was behind it. And I think it's on, only relatively recently have I started to unfurl that story. And I'm surprised, and I'm... And then not just the Ben Israel story, but the story of so many of these Jew of these Jewish communities. And I feel like while the Ashkenazi story is extremely rich and varied, and you know so many wonderful stories apart from the Shoah, the Holocaust. But I feel like when when do we talk about these non-European stories? When can we talk about these other identities and these other histories? Not that you know. And so I feel like. It's some of it is in our generation, like we connect to that older generation who lived through it. And I, I've met younger Jews, younger, like I met an, a younger Iraqi Jew and who's helping us with this, helping me with this project. And she's really proud and really knowledgeable about the history of Iraqi Jewry. And I'm like, you know, and probably way more knowledgeable, it sounds like, than you and I, right? And she has no problem with that. She's grown up thinking about it, wanting to connect to it. And that reason, that understanding why there was a problem or understanding the sort of that, the, the, the disconnect that perhaps happened, that, that happened around the, the founding of Israel, the founding of the communities in this country, I think is really important to understand because it explains why perhaps not that the Ashkenazim dominated or shut us up, but or us shut those communities up, but actually those communities felt they didn't want to they they turn themselves down in some way. I mean, there's well, obviously it's a two way yeah. thing, but it's more complex oh. than just oppression. No, I it, there is oppression there, and there is there is well Orientalism we call it Orientalism. Yes. Yeah. It was European Jews came and and they you know Zionism was was a form of was just a national movement that reproduced what other national European national movements did. They, they brought this Eurocentric perspective into the colonial exploits, and they brought with them this Orientalist perspective. They, they saw the people that they met in, at the Orient, in in you know, in Israel and in other places as, well, as lesser than. Absolutely. And, and they yeah. had all kinds of explanations as to why they think that they are lesser than them. And this, well, Israel wanted to supposedly help bring all these different Jews from the different parts of the diaspora and, and create this kind of a new kind of a Jew. And it was supposed to be this melting pot where all the the, new, the, the, the old remains or remnants of, of what will be shed away and a new kind of Jew will be formed. But but this, this idea of, of shedding and, and the new kind was very much aligned with what European Jewry was. So basically... What it meant is become like us. Yep, and, you know. absolutely. And and the, you know, the experience of many Indian Jews was to be, as you said earlier on, about being being sent to the 
the edges of the country. Also, like the Kerelan Jews, when they arrived in Israel after partition, were sent not only to the desert, but they were de-liced. They were, the people thought they would come with diseases, and they felt they thought they were dirty. And they were there's a there's a long tradition of. European Jews going, even going to these other countries and saying, you're not doing Jew, being Jewish right to come mm. to communities who'd been living as Jews for 2000 years, right? Yeah. All the way yeah. back to the temple times, right? Yeah. So that you're right there, that Orientalism is, is sort of baked in, isn't it really? But I guess I, I wasn't trying to avoid that Orientalism. I think what I was trying to identify is that you and I have a, a relationship to the people that were victims of that Orientalism. And we saw them making those compromises. And I think perhaps to the younger generation, they won't understand. It's it's quite hard to make sense of that history in a way, isn't it? It's like, why would you, my grandfather, my, sorry, my Indian grandfather having to serve Ashkenazi food to people coming over to eat because that's, you know, that was the only kosher food he could get. He had to serve salt beef and Vienna's and all these sort of like very European foodstuffs, which he didn't like, but that's all the only kosher meat he could get, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that there's that sort of he it it, it was a uh, he tried to embrace it positively, but of course there wasn't a choice. There were you know, and I won. I guess in in Israel were there more? You talked about Ramat Gan being quite a Iraqi Jewish center. community center. I guess the food was there. Were there places for people to worship? You following their, following the traditions that they had brought with them. Was that was that history coming with them, or did you see, or are you aware of that sort of like containment happening, or even the the change over time? Whether that that sort of dilution. I don't know whether that's the right word, or that's too hard. No, no. Well, if, I think Israeli culture generally, if there is one thing that it really embraced was food, you know. It's good, right? I mean, you'd yeah. be mad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We want your food. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there was a problem there. <laughs> and uh, you can you can find, uh, you know, Mizrahi food. And uh, if anything, I think that the Israeli food is much more leaning towards this kind of cuisine rather than anything else. What's nice about, yeah, the mix, Israelis are really good at sort of combining and borrowing and taking and from, from you know, all over the place. But... And when you came to... Yeah, sorry. go ahead, sorry. And when you came to Britain and yeah. you were bringing your that complexity and all that rich, the richness, certainly with the food, right? That, how did you, what did you notice about British Jewish culture? And how did you notice, I mean, you weren't going to synagogue or to, to sort of, to sort of see that other side of your Jewish identity, but in terms of aware of other Jews here, how did you, did, what differences did you notice? Yeah, I, it's a good question. You know, my interactions were very limited. I, you know, again, I didn't really make a lot of effort to to engage with, particularly with Jews. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, we, we had quite a lot of interaction during the first few years with, with Israelis mainly because we sent our daughters to a Sunday school, to a, a Hebrew Sunday school, and it was mainly filled with, with Israelis. Uh, so we had lots of, you know, interactions with them. But since then, you know, I had quite a few interactions with the British Jews, but I'm not sure I can... I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. I can say confidently a lot about about it. I I know that I'm. I didn't try to. I didn't invest. Yeah, you know. I, it's not as if I'm looking particularly to befriend only Jewish people. Not at all. I'm 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 interested in people, and you know. I guess for me, it's more important. You know, what 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 they do mm-hmm. and and you know what the what their values religion could be part of your values or you know but it's not it's not your your religiosity is not what will motivate me to be your friend or not your friend yeah i think it's i think it's interesting isn't it that well i from this is a probably a, a major difference between our upbringings that you know, there was definitely the expectation that it was cool for me to have, you know, it was normal to have friends from other places. But the Jewish friends were definitely, the, the, they were the favoured friends, right? Oh. Keep, keep your Jewish friends, make oh. Jewish connections. Oh. You know, the expectation that not only would you go out with, you know, that ideally you'd marry a Jewish woman and slightly more complicated from my family but definitely from i saw not just a jewish person but someone from the same ethnicity so ashkenazim were with ashkenazim my b'nai israel family definitely were looking for other b'nai israel you know i was expect you know was introduced to or pointed towards places where i would meet other jews uh, and and b'nai israel if possible from my grandfather's point of view my dad had already married an Ashkenazim, right? So he he, he hadn't he was in no position to to give advice. But yeah, so there was a sort of I've I've sort of I think here it's harder to do to manage that thing. You you kind of it's a choice to either walk towards it or to to sort of take part in that self identification and say, hey, I'm a Jew, you're a Jew. You know the whole idea of having a Judah, right? You know that you spot other Jews. I guess. You didn't grow up needing to do that, right? And no, there's the sort no. of, you know, there's a whole hidden language of like food and not because obviously there's that there's that whole lie that Jew, there's a Jewish look, right? Like if you've ever been anywhere in the Middle East or in 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 the center of Mediterranean, like there's a there's a look. At, anyway, we all look, you know, it's not it's not a Jewish thing, but so you need all these other keys to spot and key in to what your Jewish or your identity might be. So I guess as an Israeli, I mean, like as a British Jew, I knew how to spot Israelis, right? Because you didn't behave like the rest of us. You were Jewish, but not like the rest of us. You'd turn up at synagogue, not in a suit. There's crazy people who would come, <laughs> like we all had to wear smart clothes. You guys didn't. They, the Israelis would just turn up in shorts and a bloody t-shirt to the synagogue, which was like a no-no. It was so cool as a young person. I thought it was so cool, right? But they'd be as orthodox, if not often more orthodox. And so there were these like very different languages of, of identity. But British Jews, I think, 
again, it's a very European set of definitions. So, you know, European dress, European foodstuffs, those were the connections using Yiddish as a, you know, like I would, if I wasn't sure, I would throw in the odd Yiddish word and like you just get like a spark of like, oh yeah. And then, so those sort of indicators, those signs that it was okay, you could relax, you were with someone who got you, was important to that identity. And, but I guess in Israel, you didn't, it sounds like you didn't need to do that and you didn't come with that prejudice or that prejudice, wrong word. You didn't come with the language of, of, identity signaling that we have to do here it feels i i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't say that overstating it yeah i think so but there, there is you know it's, it's i think it's a natural human thing to to identify your people versus to the other people and yeah, yeah you know your crowd and yeah so it might not you know because largely everyone is jewish you know israel israeli society is really segregated so wherever you are you know in, in education or, or work usually you'll be interacting mostly with with other jews mm-hmm. you know in recent years there's more maybe a movement or integration of israeli arabs in in into the labor market or higher education and so on and so you might have more interaction but still it is largely segregated so you don't need to have your jew radar you might need to have your i don't know lefty radar or liberal radar or i don't know all kinds of other radars (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah Yeah. there's there's plenty of other issues right apart from identity issues in israel apart from apart from religion it's really fascinating i think i've really i've you know I visit Israel, I have been and and have family there. And I, you know, I'm hoping to interview a few more people from actually some people from my family about what the B'nai Israel experience is like in Israel. And there's definitely some puzzles there, which I, you know, like, you know, I'm, I am ignorant, right? I am, I come here as the non-expert then, you know, on so many things, but you've really helped me key into some of those experiences of multiple identities in a country where being jewish isn't the struggle Hmm. it's the other stuff there's so many other questions there and i'm really i think it's really it sounds you know the sort of coming from the iraqi heritage there your family was able you know hit hit the prejudice in israel rather than made the definition of its experience in its in the countries that they came from was a was a, was a key to that story and it's it's a it's it's perhaps not what one might expect and i think it's you know if you looked at i think that's the thing where where these why these hopefully these interviews will be interesting to some people maybe is that on paper the iraqi jewish experience might look like it would be x right it might you might make assumptions about it but your lived experience and your family's lived experience tells a much more rich and diverse story and much more interesting for it so not that or any history isn't interesting but it's not all about oppression in the homeland for example whatever calling homeland i'm calling iraq here a homeland and but actually it's the intersection with european jewry that was actually where the real struggle came mm. up. 
And that's definitely something that I'd like to come back to. And it's, it, I think I'm developing a theory about these different experiences. And I think my theory is to do with the that Orientalism and the relationship between European history, that it's no accident that all these, so many of these things happened around the late 40s and so many, uh, you know, so much of the world was changing and not always for the better. But these identities, oh, hello. These identities were formed at a very, at, at a time when European, Europe, Europe was really struggling to, Europeans were really struggling to recreate their identity and their story after something quite awful. Uh, but anyway, it's, I think we'll come back. I would like, perhaps we'll come back to that conversation another time. I think you, I think not so much from your own personal experience, but your insight and your under, your academic, dare I say it. I'm now talking to you as Dr. Yohai Hucker. Right. So yeah, this is, yeah. we'll do another interview where I won't introduce you as Yohai, but I'll introduce you as Dr. And all your, all your yeah, 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 go nominations, on. all those things. And we'll talk about the social factors of, around that. But I think this, I'm going to press pause because I'm going to suggest that we stop there. I'm going to, no, I won't actually, I'll stop. Yeah. Yohai, thank you so much for sharing your stories and answering my question, who do you think you are? I think your experience as an Israeli, as opposed to some of the those of us who grew up outside of a Jewish state has been really fascinating and made me think about things that I hadn't, even though I visited, I hadn't thought of before. It's been really helpful to me. Absolutely. My pleasure. And really enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity. And and how about uh, there are some really good Iraqi restaurants in London. I'm, 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 I'm on a hunt for the right, for the best one. So join me, join me. Let's, let's, let's go do and, it. And I'm, you know I'm up for that. Listen, okay. if anyone who's listening to this knows of those restaurants, please let me know. My Twitter and other contact details available in the show notes. Please let you and your high, uh, the highest details too will be in the show notes. Hey, your high. How can people find out more about about? I guess uh, the university Brunel. Just you know, type my name Brunel University. You'll find some of the things I'm involved in. You can find me on LinkedIn and 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 Twitter also involved in another podcast aren't you Yohai? i am it's called how does the social work yeah it's it's a podcast that uh, well mainly our students i i sort of direct and and produce but it's a podcast series now running for the third year that is largely led by our students and we are just planning our next season let's see how it goes but yeah please this has been Who Do You Think You Are? with me, Elan Ezekiel. Thanks so much to Yohai for his time and sharing his story with us. Penny will be back when there's less of a conflict of interest with the guest. And thanks to you, dear listeners, for listening. This podcast is about amplifying underrepresented voices, so it's great to have you along to hear them. Exploring the Juniverse, whether you are Jewish or just Jew-curious. There is more in the show notes about how you can get involved, learn more about the work we're doing, or just get in touch. We're on Blue Sky, Facebook, and other social spaces. Please like and subscribe, and reviews and ratings really help, so please take a moment to do that if you can. 
I hope you'll join us again and explore the Juniverse, asking, who do you think you are?